I'm ready. All right, all right. Uh, we have Andy. She knows it's dedication time. So, Andy, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? I'm going to dedicate this episode to my improv team, the Swipes. All right, wonderful. Because they're awesome. And we do have some former guests that are on the Swipes, like Merritt West and mm-hmm. Nathan Block. Yes. Um, that are part of the crew. That So um, if you were interested, go back and listen to those episodes. And right. then Andy's a member, so Andy's also part of that group as they're well. They're groovy. <laughs> groovy, I love it. That's a good way to start the show. Let's Woo-hoo. start. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host, Nick Palatichuk. Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening. And thanks for finding us. Please give us a review and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera, action. All right, we're back on the show. Today we have... Andy Moore. <laughs> Hi, Andy. This is going to be easy because my wife's name is Andy, so this I will not mess up your name She must be an amazing human. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so it is your full name, right? Andy? No, Andrea is my actual name. Oh, yeah. That was it. back no. in the day where... Yeah, either like, Jennifer or Andrea, right? Right, or Ashley's, or yeah, yeah, mostly Jennifer's and Sarah's. But it's like, oh, we're the same generation because yes. it, it was a Mike or a Nick, right? Or Matt, like it was Matt, Nick, Mike. Those were like the biggest <laughs> names back in the and early then, '80s, yeah, late and '70s. Andreas and Jessicas, and right? Jennifers, oh right? my gosh, yes, yes. So yeah, because it's just a classroom full of that. There's right? a classroom full of that. Luckily, yeah. I was I was never had to be Andrea G, but. When I turned in my 20s is when I got to, somebody started calling me Andy, and I thought, oh, I like that so much better, so I, right, yeah, it's not legally changed, but it's my stage name and my, what I go by most every day. Now, outside of my wife, have you met other females named Andy? Yes, surprisingly. So I've met probably five or six at least, and there's a famous Andy McDowell and other people. Yeah, Andy McDowell, right. Right, people trying to be Andys on movies, but. Goonies. Goonies, yes. Andy. I sometimes tell my wife, Andy, you Goonie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, so you beginning with Andrea and theater and doing comedy improv. Is that something that you've always done? I started acting when I was 39. I'm currently 45. Yes, I'm not afraid to say my age. But so I haven't really been in the whole scene for very long. But um, I kind of fell into improv, but started and and even fell into theater. I did some theater in high school, but hadn't done anything for a really long time. It was like just starting out. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of like me. You're just a late bloomer. I'm a late bloomer, but that's okay. It's been such a fun adventure the last few years, just finding a new passion, something that I love to do. I think, especially for us late bloomers, because I'm actually yeah. done now in my 40s doing what I want to do. I'm doing movies and comic books and everything. Yeah. I, I, my 20s, I try to outdrink myself. In my 30s, I try to outwork myself, so now I got my balance. Yes. But I think it, the learning experiences of life before you jump into activities kind of gives you a little bit of a benefit because you kind of can navigate how to do things Right. Instead of a little bit of jumping in into your 20s and then constantly, constantly just working on it and getting right. frustrated. Yeah. Well, and it's and I think when you're a little bit older like me, you understand more that time is a commodity and that time is precious. And so when I do projects and when I'm a part of different things, like whether it's film theater or um, right. radio stuff or whatever I'm doing, is it worth the time away from my family? Is it worth my mental health time? Is it worth, you know, and so I get to pick and choose projects now that mean something to me yeah, or that I just truly enjoy because mostly acting for me is just really, I love it. I love to do it. I enjoy it. It gives me energy. It makes me feel whole. So 
Yeah. So it's been fun to discover that. It took a long time to, to discover this, but it's always something you're thinking was in the back of your mind or it oh just my. was like a something that's just a catalyst. Like, I'll just go try it. Oh, no. It was something that like every, when I when I was early momhood, I have three kids who are eight and yeah. above now. And when they were really little, even before I had the last one, it was always like, what's your dream job? I'm like, oh, I would love to be on Broadway. It will never happen, but I would love to be on Broadway. There's always that like loved watching musicals watching movies theater shows I mean I loved going to theater and so when my my one of my best friends she was uh we'd moved back to Minnesota my one of my best friends was um directing for the first time for um a local community theater in Lakeville all right and so she'd say well come help me with auditions I'm like okay I was excited (laughs) to have a break for my kids and my husband was fine with watching them I'm like all right I'm gonna go and I ended up auditioning and getting a part that was pretty crazy so that was kind of my like jump start back into community theater that's really weird because you actually did fall into it kind of almost I literally fell into it and then of course two weeks before the show opened I got into a car crash and broke my foot so I couldn't even do that play. So that was really frustrating. I was so sad that I couldn't even do that play. And then my husband said, well, why don't you go fin- go do a play and actually finish it? Thank you, Ryan. He's awesome. And so that just started a cycle of continual theater for quite a few years and then slowly getting into some film stuff and getting into some commercial work and getting agents and improv comedy. I just All of those things kind of have come at different times when I've least expected it. It's been cool. So with the improv, how long how long have you been the one of the original members of the Nathan Blocks improv thing? Yeah, the swipes. We yeah. we were five swipes left, but we've been uh, trying to think of an easier name to say, and so the swipes seems to be what we have all agreed I mean, on. I like it. I do too. Yeah. I think it's kind of fun. And so I've been with them for about a year, year and a half little bit more than that maybe they're about two years old but I did a couple shows with them when they were there in their original group um and kind of filled in and and hung out with them and then officially joined I think it was the summer so it's been or last summer I'm terrible with time anyway I joined them at some point you are when you're late bloomer right right. exactly I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) starting early but it's been fun it's been a fun ride with them so far so I mean you've been live shows you guys have kind of been marked you know, popcorning around the Twin Cities doing right. shows and stuff like yep. that. And like we've played at House of Comedy a few times, which has been really nice. We've done, um, there's a Here and There Dot Live, which is in Southdale. It's a venue that anyone can use. It's a great space. Um, we've performed there a couple of times headlining. We opened up for, we've been starting to open up for um, some local, like, uh, what do you call them? Stand-up comics. There we go. That's yeah. the right terminology. That is, yeah. Ding, I know. Ding ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And so, so we've been opening up for a few for a few wonderful stand-up comics, and now we're going to be performing at Huge Theater, which I'm kind of excited. I've only auditioned there once. I've never actually seen a show, so I'm kind of pumped to be in that venue. All right. So you're going to be coming up. You're going to be at the right at the. Say it again, please. We're going to be at Huge Theater tonight for Improv Go Go at All seven right. o'clock, and also next week. Next Sunday, um, today's the sixth, and I think that one—I'm terrible with math. Like I said, whatever that date is, next Sunday we're going to be there also for Improv Go Go at seven o'clock. So okay, wonderful. So yeah. my listeners can find that. Yeah. Is there, you know, for improv shows? Kind of have to ask: Is there audience kind of participation a little bit? There is definitely audience participation. A lot of times, depending on if you're doing short form improv versus long form improv, right? You are pulling audience. Um, suggestions and ideas. We'll be asking for places and um, situations that we may need. I mean, we don't always want to come up with our own stuff organically. We love help from the audience. 
I don't uh, I don't want to give away too many seconds, but do you guys, even though it's improv, do you guys kind of rehearse? Yes. Okay. We typically meet once or twice a week, depending on if we've got a show coming up. It might be a little bit more, but usually we rehearse once a week just to get familiar with each other, familiar with the games that we need to play, and just okay. uh, stay connected. Yeah, and it sounds counter. Kind of looks like cheating, but yeah, when you improv, you kind of want to know where we're going to go with this. Well, or, exactly. Yeah. Every game yeah. has a formula, and there, there is a way to play it and a way not to play it. And so you need to almost build like a muscle memory of yeah. how to play those games so that when you get up there and you have no idea what you're starting with, you at least know where you're going. Hey, yes. Um, how has improv kind of, does it help with the acting or... Does it ease the lead a little bit of the nervousness? Because you're pretty much on the spot all the time. Right. I think improv, what improv has done for me, yeah. um, it's made me less scared of the silent times. Like if I'm on stage and I've memorized a script, if I have forgotten my lines, which has happened a couple of times, I know where we are and I know where we're going. I can at least make it up in the middle within my character. Okay. So improv has been helpful for me to at least uh, stay in character, not break character, and <laughs> attempt to get it back on track so that the other actors know where we're going. I'm only laughing because it's it's key, it's, you know, not to look flustered like, oh my god, what did you know? You have to kind <laughs> of keep character, even right? Though, right. So, right. Yeah. Right. I think I think everybody, if they want to do acting. At least entertain the idea of trying to do improv. I think it's a tool that's that's almost will be greatly helpful. Pardon me, resume because you could be on the spot. Just you know. Well, and there's even for everyday life, like having to come up with Plan B if your Plan A is failing, or coming up with a new idea or something in your workplace. There's a yeah. lot of uh, like Brave New Workshop I know, and Comedy Sports and Huge Theater all offer classes in Improv 101 or 100 where you can take basic improv techniques and and apply it to your everyday life it's actually really good for anybody to take improv i think it kind of frees your mind from being stuck in what you think you have to do or you have to say and it gives you new pathways and new synapses in your brain to be creative and interesting and and make make life a little more flexible yeah a little more flexible right it's my one of my favorite words provide options yes i think if you're not so much constrained if you provide options and i kind of do that as a film director if like, you know, this is the script's kind of not really set in stone here. It's on paper. Right. If you don't like a line, maybe we can work out. If we do have time, you know, sometimes we can navigate what you feel comfortable with. And I'm kind of a person who loves options. You right. Know? And I like to work with people like maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that. And I think improv, like you said, helps you get a little more options rather than stick to a rigid program. Right. And if that breaks down, what I'm going to do. Right. And it's so a collaboration versus just a self run show that's what i like about doing improv is i get to work on a team and i can go off other people's stuff instead of being solely dependent on my funniness or lack of funniness at the time right i think comedy is hard it's not really taught but the timing can be taught i think right am i kind of right with that kind of like i think so i think i think some people have natural they might be really funny but don't have good timing like there's there can you can be really funny in inappropriate situations, whereas there's people who have really good timing with a line or a quip, and that can make them funny. Yeah, like my favorite, my favorite comedian Louis Anderson, who just yes. passed away. And yeah, I know he, it, he when I wrote his, I read his book, and his first joke he ever said on stage when he was super nervous, his first joke was, "Well, let me move this mic stand so he can see me," and that. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then that gets immediate laugh. And that, that calms you down, too. Like, okay, yeah. that's going to work. And now, right. now you know where I'm going with this. Right. right. Well, and that's the thing with stand-up. I have not done it. And so I know you kind of have to create a character to a degree, but it's also a lot of you. A lot of you needs to be in whatever you're producing, whether it's acting. You know, any character I try to play, I try to find where am I in this so I don't feel like I'm recreating the wheel. I can kind of go from a jump-off point, which is myself, because I know myself better than anyone else, I guess. And so same with stand-up comedy. It's like, oh my gosh, you're totally like within, it's within yourself. Whereas improv is kind of nice because you can get, you can, you jump off other people and build together and hand it off. All yeah, right. Yeah, one is not better than the other. Some people just have different giftings. And stand up comedy, I don't believe, would be one of mine, but kind of hoping to learn how to write. Like, that's like how to write. I would love to take a couple classes from Ash Webb. She does a comedic writing class. Yes. That yeah. would be so cool just to like learn how, how the composition of comedy goes. I mean, I kind of have an idea, but to actually see it in written form would be really cool. It's almost like a, it's a magic trick. You build it up right. and then you put the rug out of them, like that joke, like, let me move this right. way so you can see me. There's right. a science and a formula yeah. to everything we do in acting, writing scripts, every every job in the film industry, theater, all of it. There's always a science and a, and a formula to it. And so it's interesting for me to like explore that and find out how improv can impact and what, what works, what doesn't, all of that, and so. Yeah, and I think the next step we're kind of telling the listeners is it's not you breaking down, it's almost like you find your voice. I think that's what right. the key is, find who you are. Right. You're not going to do, you know, a, like any like Amy Schumer. That's not what you're going to do. No, no. You're going to find how you are funny and find your own unique voice. Right. Yeah. Somebody like a famous comedian lad, that I like, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder oh. is not a stand-up comedian. But he's funny. Right. Just getting frustrated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's not going to do stand-up. Right. So it's almost like he's a more of joke written, you know, how do I entice this to make it funny? Right. Yes. So there's different avenues like improv, which is, okay, I know I could do this and just almost be out there where somebody a little more of writing can just kind of like navigate how to make the joke work on paper. First. Exactly. Yeah. And there's such a difference between finding the joke and finding the funny in improv versus it being written for you and you have to perform the funny. And so, but that even in itself has, like if you're playing a comedic character on stage, there's there's a process of finding out how does that land with an audience and how does it land within you? Like how can you make this character, not necessarily make her funny, but believe that she or he is funny that you're genuine, playing. Right? Mm -hmm. It's also part of that key of finding your That's voice. That's key. You like, have to be believable. If you're just if you're just a caricature of a character, it's not going to land with people for very long. They're going to get sick of you. But if they if you genuinely believe that you are that character, it's so much more real to them. And they get sucked into the story so much more than just if you're just making it up or making fun of it or whatever. <laughs> One of the keys, I think, of comedy, and we're trying to navigate not only funny, but how do you transition to be funny? Because you're going to have to, like, you're opening up for somebody, and then you're going to be really funny. Then the person's mad at you, like, oh, how am I supposed <laughs> to come after that? And I think Louis Anderson talked about, you know, if somebody's really killing it because he got frustrated that he had to come on before, come on after Sam Kinison. So Ooh. he already jacked up the audience, and Louis's not that kind of person. So he's like, how do I transition from everybody's all wired up and like, all right, we're all funny and in the energy. So what he did was always talk about Sam in his act, kind of like weave him off, like, like a wean off a little sure. bit. You're like, oh, great, that was Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can go take a break now because I'm not going to scream, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of bring it up until the point that everybody's comfortable, got into the kind of the vibe of 
appreciating him. So he kind of learned the tricks a little bit right. of doing stand-up as well to navigate, be successful. Because that's harsh. Because somebody's yeah. killing it, and then, all right, you go next. Like, well, and some yeah. of it's acknowledging the real, the real, the reality. Right. So, okay, Sam Kinison killed it. Okay, I'm not the same comic. How can I? How can I like transition back into it? It's calling back to the original act or calling back to something that was yeah, familiar the, to the yeah, audience before. Yeah. And if and if Sam had said something that Louis can weave into his current jokes, that just ties the show together, making it a team effort versus like this comic versus this comic versus this, where you're trying to put on a show for the audience. It's not about you and that's where the ego has to get checked at the door anytime you're doing comedy at all if it's about you then it's not about the audience and you're there for them not you and yeah. so it's that's part I like about improv is that if you can check your ego at the door which sometimes I do and sometimes I don't but it's like there's there's we call it finding the funny that right. there's so much funny stuff in everyday life that where can we find that and it just sometimes comes up naturally in series of patterns or something funny that was said that got a laugh and you bring it back and there's there's ways that you can find that funny and keep it going uh do you kids think you're funny um you know i i don't know if they think i'm funny i think they're funny but i live with them every day so there's moments when i know i make them laugh but they've never seen me do improv so they see Mom being witty and trying to be like relevant in a make fun of it kind of way, but they, they don't. They just uh, whatever. They're like, okay, mom, I don't know, whatever. So, <laughs> but you could find the hilarious of them learning life, right? Oh my gosh, the, the abstractness of it. They're right? just they're well, and it helps that they're such individual people. They're just the most interesting humans in my house. Like I think that they're hilarious and. They all have their different senses of humor. My teenager is very much like me. He's very dry. He's very quick-witted. He's very punchy. And so he cracks me up on a daily basis because he and I are so similar. And my middle one is kind of that like under-the-radar humor that you just don't quite see it. But then when he finds something really funny, he's just erupts in laughter. And the baby's trying to be funny, like so, which makes her funny because she's so cute. She's eight. But she tells her jokes but doesn't quite know what the punchline is so she'll make it up yeah it's pretty and that's great. funny also oh it's so funny because you're like you're so cute and little and you have no idea what you're doing but it's almost more adorable and funny she's so cute i think you described the entire range of why the cone brother movies are so funny probably <laughs> they're comedies but it's like the awkwardness sometimes the jokes don't land that's why i right. think it's funny but sometimes right. it's a joke that they like that it's not for every, the audience. Right, right. It might be their inside joke that is more yep. for them than for everyone else. But then you get the the outright dry, punchy humor, which I appreciate. Like if they want to like really tease and harass somebody, they'll hire George Clooney and just oh. make him do this most ridiculous things in characters. They make him just and then they laugh and then George's like, oh, dang, why do I, why do I do movies with you guys? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> You make me look so ridiculous because oh. you're suave, so we have to. Right. Well, and it, there's that, like, he's so debonair and so, like, suave and good-looking that to make him look ridiculous punches the comedy up all the more because yeah. you're not playing into what he would be stereotyped as if he was cast in something as that, like, debonair 007 kind of guy where he's playing, you know, yeah. playing some 
podunky singer from the South. I can't remember what movie that is. I just watched uh, it. Oh, brother. Yes, oh, brother, we're out there. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. He's so it's so, and they're like their theme of it, their protagonist, male, is a schemer that's way, way over their head. Right. And that's going to cause some problems. They think they're the smartest person in the room, but they're not. Right. <laughs> like Nicholas Cage and Raising Arizona, or William H. Macy has Jerry Lundegaard. They think they're the greatest schemers, and they get way over the head, and they don't know. And that's where all the trouble ensues. And that's, no wonder they did. Right. Macbeth. That's where all the fun stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder they did Macbeth. Right. Oh. I'm going to jam. I'll just start killing people. That's yeah. the problem. Right. <laughs> Death. So acting, improv. Yes. And we're going to try to begin a little bit of writing. I, I think you're starting to navigating well because I think people write and then they try acting. I think the first thing you want to do acting first. Right. And then start the writing. I think live life a little bit more before you start writing. I think if you live within various characters and get an idea of of what they're about, how to write a backstory, like any character I've done, even if it's been something where I don't have any lines, I try to create a name for myself so I at least just connect with that person. Yeah. I try to create a backstory. Where are they from? What do they like to do? What are their hobbies, interests? I mean, it doesn't have to be super detailed, but enough to kind of like build a little mm-hmm. web around this person to capture their personality so that you're not just, I'm actor A walking from stage left to stage right in scenes three, six, and seven. I mean, it. it's nice to have a reason why you're walking somewhere. I always encourage that. First thing you right. want to do is a name. I don't like that. Right. Passenger one or something. Right. A name. Let's do it. Tom. Okay, Tom. That's, okay. And then there's some kind of a history of what people named Tom. Right. There's there are stereotypes to certain names. And names come with names come with some baggage for people, good or bad. And so yeah. I mean, even in improv, like one of my goals is to always start the scene with a relationship. And you're in the middle of a relationship. You don't want to be at the beginning because no one cares about that. Everyone <laughs> wants the middle, the weird, the meaty part. What are you? Are you brothers and sisters? Are you coworkers? Are you, you know, where are you at? And then what are your names? And so by calling someone out like Hey, brother Douglas, how are you? I mean, you just start off. You start off with some sort of phrase and a name, and that gives that person identity. It's a gift, and so yeah. I appreciate when I'm named. Because if you're sitting there in this weird, <laughs> weird soup of a it scene, is weird, right? Yeah. And you have no idea who you are and what they th- who they think you are, then you just start like basically going off of their reactions versus yeah. like actually creating a relationship and a scene and building off of there and finding the funny. So usually I, and when I talk art and critique yeah. art, I always talk about where is the exa- exaggeration. Right. I mentioned that. We're, we're, you have to find somewhere where it's exaggerated. In comedy, it's very, where are going to find the exaggeration? Right. Or the, the, the posture is the extrovert or the dialogue or something like that. And then f- get comfortable of the abstraction. It is kind of weird. You're on a stage. Right. And you've got to go off the mark. And it has to be funny. Right. Which I think we're one of the few spe- species on the earth that actually know comedy. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh. unless there's a few animals that maybe think you're funny. If you, try, if you ever try improv at the zoo and you get a laugh, then you know you're really Right. <laughs> Monkeys might enjoy you. My cats do not. My cats, I try to like have full conversations with my cats and they just look at me like I'm a moron. So... <laughs> I don't care. I talk to them anyway. They they're aware because uh, I watch aware? I watch my horror movies just to get sleepy because I'm a you know I was a kid in the eighties and then my dog like you're watching this at one a.m. you're gonna watch this and they just looks I get the look from the dog and then he goes in the other room you're gonna watch this and chainsaws yeah. and all this stuff. I bet he's got good eyebrows too like really dad okay <laughs> yeah it's it's I'd... weird to get the look from an, a pet 
Right. I'm sure you get the look from the cat. I get death stare from Weasley, which is my orange little five-year-old cat who's my favorite. And then the little fat two-year-old chonky one. Chonky, He's got the best expression, but it's almost like a, his eyebrows go down and he just stares at you like, really? Okay. Okay, mom. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I I get weird, yeah, wide-eyed from Weasley and then I get like... The eyebrows down from a cat. I don't know. Is he? What do you call that? Like resting floof face? I don't know. Just, you're weird. That, yeah, not, yeah. You're weird. Just Why are you doing annoyed? Weird? He's annoyed with me. You're weird. Yeah. 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 You get a reaction from an animal. It's hilarious. Oh, I, I know. I know. <laughs> and now my dog's nine, so he gets oh. to the point where if things aren't going his way, he just go in the other room. Like you guys are just nuts. Can you leave? <laughs> he just goes in the other room and just ah, get Can out. Can I of watch it. my stories in here without you too? Let me. Let me just have the living room. Thanks. <laughs> So, do you watch comedies? Can you laugh at them? Or are you kind of doing a little bit of research at the same time? So, it depends on the comedy. Like, I have shows that I watch that are kind of my binge shows when I don't know what else I want to watch. Yeah. I love The Office and I love Parks and Rec. Typical. I mean, it's something about that awkward humor. The character right. development is so well done. And those shows are well written. It's There's a continuous story, but... You every show could stand where's alone. Where's the exaggeration? Where's the awkwardness? Right. Embrace the right. weird. Oh, it's so it. fantastic, so yeah. great, and but there's also shows like I love to watch documentaries. I even though it may not be comedy for me, I'm I'm learning about subgroups of people that I don't understand. Yeah, like you know, people who kill people, or like oh, Star a- Trek nerds, or like all of. Sorry if nerds are offensive. I just love nerds. I think that nowadays they're comfortable with it. Okay, that's good because I love nerds. I'm married to one. So, like, whether it's Star Trek or, like, you know, like, Child Brides or which is, ugh, but, or, like, the kids who do all the pageants. I mean, it's just interesting cheerleaders, interesting subgroups of people. I love documentaries. So, I love to, because if I ever have to portray one, I want to know some background quickly of who I'm portraying and you know, are there little things about that genre of people that I can pull out yeah. of my sock and figure out what to say or how to act? Well, the other, I think the other feature about documentaries is it's almost improv too. You right. can't tell people, all right, that was a great shot. Can you just say that again? Cause you're documenting. Right. And then you're going to fix it in editing, how to clean it up a little bit, well, how you can get a narrative, but documentary is almost improv as well. Right. And it's real. Like these are things that have happened or have historically have happened or happening yeah. now or, you know, whatever. And so it's just fascinating to me because I am not, a, I just finished watching cheer, which was actually really interesting. It's I well, mean, the cheerleader one. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. I, I don't live in the South. I don't have children who cheerlead. I just, it's not a part of my reality or my everyday kind of like hockey moms who live and breathe hockey. I don't know. My kids do all sorts of different things, but it, it's interesting to me how, how, Every person wraps their life around different things that define them. And so I love to find that out about people. What defines you? What? How do you act around that? Like what drives you to do that for your kids or for you or for whoever? So it's it's interesting to me. I think so. I think documentaries, you have to get... All right, that's I, I'm not. That's not my world. Let's let's get into it. It's it's fascinating, right? right? And especially, it's we critique art of you know like documentaries and stuff. But you know, like compared to fiction, fiction we always read. How is that logical? That doesn't really make sense. That's kind of kind of out there. We always critique the logic, of right? It. But with documentaries in real life, we critique like how is that possible? I, <laughs> that's real. Like the, like the weirdness of it. Right. But in fiction, we critique the logic of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like if anyone followed me around with a document documentary film team, it'd be like, okay, she's a little quirky and strange. She's got cats. 
and her kids are funny. I mean, that would be about it. I yeah, I stay kind of mundane. Mundane, yeah. but that's okay. I like I like the mundane because I feel like that's where people are. Not ninety percent of the world is not in this extravagant celebrity lifestyle. We all have a house or we have a place we live. We all have, yeah, most not, of us have a job. It's not sexy to go to the grocery store. No, and, we go yeah. to the, we have to get gas for our cars. We all have like normal things that we do. And I appreciate people who just break down and show the reality of where people are. And I find humor in the mundane. Like I love to look back at my Facebook memories before I started doing improv and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my kids said some funny stuff. Like, Oh my gosh, I said some funny stuff. Like, Oh, that's so cool. Like yesterday I posted about my son when like it was nine years ago and he's 15 now. So do the math. I don't know. He must've been five, four. I suck at math. Anyway, we're going to find this out. So he, nine years ago. So he, he goes, mom, if you were a transformer, you'd be a canoe. Thanks, Charlie. All right. Thanks. That was, but it was so funny. But he to thought me. about it. I, I think there was a couple of days he thought about it. Later. I mean, my my children think about things. He like I would be a canoe. I must. I think I was pregnant with my last one, who's now eight. And it was like, thanks, Charlie. Okay, you just consider me a floating vessel that doesn't even have a motor. I don't even have a motor. I can't go fast. I just you know kind of waddle around. Well, uh, it's take just your time. right. Take you're, my you're, time. You're on every. Yeah, I think it's also psychologically that you're on your own schedule. Everybody right. else, to right. cause. You're on everybody. Like, like mom, we're all on mom's schedules. But so. what is what is like? Then my brain goes to okay, Charlie. What is a canoe? Canoe superpowers? Like, don't, doesn't every transformer have some sort of power? They transform into some sort of robot. He goes, No, you just be a canoe. <laughs> I love you, man. Like, oh my gosh. So that's so funny. All right, so a little bit back to comedy. I usually tell people my perspective of comedy is a little bit of a core of immaturity, not really development, where you can have a little bit of fun of it. Because it's almost like if you watch Abbott and Costello, you almost want to stop the film like, all right, guys, this is what he's trying to say, and this is what he's trying to But you're thinking two different ways. It's almost that frustration of immaturity communication a little bit. I don't know if you kind of agree with that, but... I think so. I think I think you have to be able to not take things so seriously all the time or if it's very serious to find the not seriousness about it because sometimes we get so stuck in life and what's going on and where we are and we're in the muck and the mire where whereas like if you can be a little immature about it and a little more lighthearted about whatever situation you're in to again find the funny yeah. it kind of can can lift you out of that. So I think I think a bit of immaturity is okay in in most comics and people funny people that I know have a bit of that. Their inner child is still kind of hanging out or their yeah, yeah. inner middle schooler fart jokes and all that stuff is still kind of hanging out. I know I do. I mean, I might be in a 45-year-old body, but I feel like I'm more like <laughs> well, because 20 for sale. Woo, 23-year-old me, but it's like okay, even though I'm aging, my my brain doesn't feel older, and I don't feel any more grown up than I did when I had my first kid. So, I, you just, I think you need that. I think you need need that to have hope and enjoy and find funny. And we need comedy, especially when things get hard. I have a little joke, and I won't I won't mention the person's name, but he said the reason why I have kids is so I can still go to kids movies and not be shamed by Aww. myself, and I can still shop at the toy aisle. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I what think that's he goes, yeah, because you'll go to kids' movies and then people are like, oh, yeah, he's taking his kid. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but if you go, it might be a little weird, like alone. Yeah, yeah. A grown yeah. man going to Disney World, yeah, that's weird. But hey, I got my kid with me. But you me. got your kids with you. Although, <laughs> yeah. there is a subgroup of people that I adults that are diehard Disney humans and they go like all the time and collect things. And do, I'm like, yeah. 
okay, I've been there like three times my entire life. I don't understand, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm a person that decorated his entire walls with comic books. That's true. You have a lot of comic books. And that's something that's not really gone away. It's kind of weird because it's almost like the, there's supposed to be a, this magic number where you're supposed to outgrow things. No. And it doesn't. And I thought, oh, it's just going to happen to me because I collect comics as a kid. It's just going to happen to me. And then I'm still going to the store in my 30s and 40s and like, well, maybe I just make my own comic. I'm never really going getting out right. of this. Right. Yeah. I think the older you get, you have a little more disposable income, like a little bit more. And like for my husband, he is a big video game guy. Like Nintendo is his jam. Oh, he's retro. Oh, he's super retro. We have way too many video game systems because he's he'll buy them cheap or collect them cheap or get them broken and fix them because he's super smart. He and doesn't go though. No. Nope. <laughs> Blow on them. No. Well, he but he can go in and fix them and read do everything and get them working. So we have like, I don't know, 14, 15 systems, retro and new, and then tons. I mean, he just collects stuff. So he's got his, his our basement is his man cave to a degree. Like he's got all of his Nintendo and video game collection stuff. So I think as you get older, like there's some of that nostalgia from your childhood that you're not necessarily, maybe you're trying to recreate it, but maybe you're also just trying to appreciate the yeah. stuff from when you were a kid. And I think it, it fuels, it fuels that childlike wonder for people and I think it's okay. Again, because I'm going to go now when I collect comics, I'm looking back at what's the 80s and 70s that I can get. Right. Um, especially when you collect, it's kind of like 20 year thing. So anything 20 years older, it's hard to find. Right. So when I was a kid in the 80s, it's hard to find things from the 50s, where now it's kind of hard to find things of the 70s. Right. It's just the progression of antique collecting. This is weasel. Yeah. So Nintendo, I think it's, yeah, you can find things of the 80s. It's going to be tough to find. And when you find it, you're like, right. oh, yeah, Paperboy. Oh, yeah, Paperboy. I remember Paperboy. <laughs> it's like I just yeah. – we had a Nintendo growing up, and I I didn't like playing it, but I liked watching it. And I still oh, am wow. that way. Like, yeah. I don't really Where? like playing video games. Like, I'll play some. There's like Mario Kart's fun with my family, or Rock Band is fun with my family. But by myself, I don't really play video games, but I love to watch people play video games because there's a story every video game not every a lot of video games have a really good story kind of a narrative now. Yeah, yeah i kind of enjoy those i don't know there's some fun ones the one person narrative things. Yeah. yeah yeah so everybody tells me what was the 80s like and i was like you know you guys talk about the music of the 80s it's pretty much the 8-bit video game noise that was my jam right oh my gosh atari <laughs> and all of those i mean we the 8-bit music sega do, 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 oh yeah, yeah. We have like a compilation uh, CD or something that my husband put together of a bunch of like those video game music and we'll play it in the car on road trips. And my kids were like, this is so awesome. <laughs> really? It's 8-bit music, but it's actually pretty well done if you think about it. I, I remember I get my dad, I think it had to be 88 and I was really going, killing it on Ninja Gaiden. Wow. And I was really up there because Ninja Gaiden was one of those, if you die, you have to start, you couldn't save it. You had no, to go you, all the way back to the beginning. Right. So I was really close. Ugh. And then he um, he went up to me and just interrupted me. I was getting there. I was zoned in. He's like, you know, it's sunny and 80 degrees outside. And um, <laughs> and then throw up my jam. And I was like, ah, you come in the room and you bust me and scream and lost my concentration. He goes, good, go outside and play. It's 80 degrees and you're a kid. And I was like, but, but you don't understand. I know. Now they do, I think kids now who do retro gaming, they screenshot it. So if they get to the kill, uh, it's part, they'll take a photo of their phone and like, I made it there. Document oh, it. Document it, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, Fortnite is like the big thing with my middle schooler. And I don't, my oldest one doesn't really play video games, but 
but it's definitely has a hold on them. I'm like, go outside. YouTube. Oh my gosh, everything on YouTube. My daughter loves YouTube. She loves watching people make slime. I'm like, why don't you make your own slime? Yeah. Like, don't watch people make slime. Take make notes and do it. Your take own. notes and make your own slime. But <laughs> that's okay. This is parenthood. All right, we're gonna take a little break and back more with Andy Moore. I, I get to use that. See? Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. And we are two sisters with the Mouse and Weens podcast. Nice and clear. <laughs> Come take a listen. It's fun. We talk about life, love, and pubic hair. Sick. <laughs> and all sorts of fun family memories and stuff. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're on all the platforms. And we hope you take a listen. Bye. Bye. Suck it. Welcome back, and now more with the show. Back. <laughs> right, we're coming back. And after the break, we're talking about the mid '90s. But I did have a thread belt in the '90s in high school. And I you had, had a thread belt. You know the thread belt in the '90s. It was not like you know they had a little thread leather thread belt. And then I had oh yeah 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 the hemp. You know the, your weave jewelry. You had to yes, make, you make your oh, own. Oh sure. And I had the wiper blade haircut, which you know your wiper blade. <gasps> yeah. Shoulder bangs and everything. Oh yeah. And your Doc Martin boots, and then yes, yes, I had probably twenty different flannel shirts. God, yeah. it sounds like kids today. <laughs> I swear. I swear all the fashion that my teenager has, it's all coming back. Really? It is? It's, it's, I mean, even his girlfriend, like the stuff she wears, I'm like, oh, you look like my friends in high school. They look like the people I would have. I graduated in 95. So all of my St. Louis Park people from 95. <laughs> yay. Our kids are starting to look like us back in the day. So same hair, the same. Thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Things. My son parts it down the middle and it wings out. Like he's got surfer boy hair and he's super proud of it. But it can't, it can't touch a collar. The back has nope. to be cut. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And, he's, and he wears headbands and he like like bandana headbands and crew neck sweatshirts. He's cool. But I had the thread belt that you had. It's too long, so you had to tie it off. Oh yeah, yeah, it was too long. And oh then yeah. I the, and I didn't really have Doc Martens. I had um, I had I always wore my track shoes because I played track. But I always wore my track shoes because they just felt really comfortable. I took the spikes out. Well, I was gonna say, did you have spikes in your shoes? No, that's, I that's... took them out, but. I took my spikes out, but I had another pair that would wear for track, but we're always wearing my track shoes. Yeah, That's funny. Yeah. I'm glad they don't have camera. Back then in the 90s, I'm glad they didn't have cameras in the hallway because we got away with some stuff that I don't think you could do it now. Some so. of my outfits were pretty, I was pretty tame and pretty classic, but my yeah. one outfit that I tell my teenagers about that I had weird, that I dressed weird was I had like, so I had my Doc Martens and I had, but they were buckle shoes with yeah. scrunchy socks. I don't know if you remember the socks that kind of, like they would, you would scrunch them down so that they would look layered and then you have a couple of them. Then I wore like waffle print, cream waffle print, um, long johns with my dad's 1970s cutoffs. I mean, this is the middle of winter. I'm a genius. And so <laughs> I had cutoffs with like the cut under the butt pocket. Oh, so yeah. cool. And then I had like whatever, just a t-shirt, band t-shirt and a flannel. Oh, I thought, and my hair was in braids. I thought I was you were, so- You were rocking. I was rocking. That was my yeah. favorite outfit. And I look back, I'm like, huh, okay. <laughs> that's dated. That's not, that's okay. You always had to uh, unbutton flannel shirt. That was oh me. My gosh. Just let it flap, and then you wear your favorite grunge shirt, t-shirt. Big, big, or... big hoodies. I mean, like yeah. men's extra large plain hoodies, it, like open, you know, zipped open with your some flannel. Some kids had the drug rug. 
What's the drug rug? You know that uh, that looks like a rug that, that oh the, yeah the sweater with yep. the hood. Yep, I totally. <laughs> and those kids were always the dealers. You know <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, you're a dealer. Yeah. I know exactly. The well, drug I, rug. I did mostly like I did they a lot like of threaded. Yes. Like... <laughs> okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm like the well, and I I rolled with the theater kids in high school, so we had we had an eclectic bunch of of humans there, anywhere from really put together denim shirts tucked into their khakis with their... Everybody had denim. Yeah. Oh, I know, with their, with their Eastland shoes or anywhere wearing the drug rugs, you know. I remember those, leggings and drug rugs. I think I even had one. But I didn't deal drugs. Don't do drugs. I had a flannel winter jacket. That's how committed I was to flannel. You were committed to flannel. I know. That was, well, it's Minnesota, too. Yeah, well, yeah. it's cold. It's, and teenagers don't wear coats, I swear. No. They but, don't wear coats. But the kids now, it's cool to wear... Your backpack used both straps. Yes. We're in the 90s. Oh, no. No. That means you were a super nerd. You had to drag it over one shoulder. One shoulder. That was it. And you have to switch the shoulder because it would hurt the other shoulder. You would never do two. That was like... Yeah, it was like school nerd. You love school if you right. wear two straps. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm thankful for for their back health now. I think you know maybe some of us have back problems compared to the current teenage population. Thank <laughs> One you more thing t- I like to share is when I was a kid, I had a '88 Cavalier when I was in high school. It was a slapstick, so it wasn't a ma- it was a manual, but it was on the the shift was on the the floor, right, right by the radio, and it only had AM radio. It didn't have a tape player in it or anything. <sighs> So I only played AM radio, <laughs> which is so annoying for a teenager because you want music, but I only right. had AM radio to listen to. So yeah. I, I sneak in my boom box sometimes. Just did to, you have a cassette deck at all? Like, did you No, have, you couldn't no. do it. I had a, you know, people buy those things right. and I just didn't have the money to do okay, that. Okay. So I just bring my boom box with me. That's funny. Battery up and play that in the oh my back gosh. seat. I was lazy. I didn't get my license till I was almost nineteen because I just really? let, I let my friends drive me around. I just gave them gas. That money was and, me. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to drive, I was too scared, but but I did have my first car was a '89 Cutlass Calais. My oh, gra- that's it was, a boat. It was my grandma's car. It was an Oldsmobile. That's a boat. And I named it Norman because he looked like a Norman. But he would talk to me like anytime, <laughs> anytime I pushed on the brake, it would go her, and I was like, "Hi, Norman!" Like I would talk to my car. I know. I, I did was, have one friend that was kind of like the REM song, "Stand to the Place Where You Were." Right. And she did, because anywhere we traveled and she drove, like, let's go to the mall. She had to drive back home to start again. <gasps> oh, wow. So, like, we're over in such and such, and, like, let's go to the mall. Then she had to drive home, <laughs> and then, like, okay, now I can go to the mall. It's like, oh, my God, you were frustrating. <laughs> oh, because she almost needs, like, direct from her house. Like, yes. In yeah. her, her GPS I'm not in name her, her mind. Out, but, yeah, but she knows it starts you're at her frustrating. house. You're frustrating. Yes. I'll follow you. No, I can't follow you. I have to start. <laughs> oh, I remember having to learn how to read a map, how to, I mean, all of that stuff. GP, when GPS came out, I was so excited because I'm not great with direction. Like, if oh. you tell me to go north, I'm like, okay, mm, give me a, give me a turn left here, left here, right here. Draw a map. I, draw a map. Yeah. I mean, it helps. It's helpful. It was a great day with that because I used to football referee and you had to have their, that booklet. To know oh, right. how to get to schools. That was the next thing you had to really, really focus on is how to get to schools because you can't be late as a referee. Right. So they tell you to go to X school. I'm like, well, how do I get there? Because there's no <laughs> GPS. But now when that came out, it was great because you just loaded the car and then somebody's like punched it oh. and it'd take you there. Where you go out to like some places where out in the woods, you're just hoping that the only lights are on, the stadium lights are like, there it is. We can there find it. There it is. We can find it. I know. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm thankful. I'm. That was the greatest invention for oh, officiating because he didn't have to right. f- figure out how to get there. Right. Well, and for acting too, it's like I don't have to, if I'm going to a place that I've never been, oh, a film yeah. shoot or your house or wherever, I can just pop in the address and go and usually it'll get me there just fine. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, the an- audition things are the 90s, I'm sure. When you right. Or like, auditions here in Minneapolis. Where, how do I get there? Uh, right. right. I'm yeah. like, I didn't have to audition in the 90s, but at the same time, like if I did, I... Would not know where to go because I don't know downtown that well. But so how is with improv? Is that comfortable doing your auditions? Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, like depending on. I haven't. We've done so much more, like at home auditions for. Um, not with improv, but like just having to do, like with my agencies sending me auditions. I don't do a ton yeah. of auditions, but when you I do get a commercial, right when yeah. I get a commercial one, it's usually self tape. So now I'm having to navigate. I love in-person auditions because they're just more, I get to see people's reactions and yeah. I can feed off energy. And whereas if I'm doing it home, I'm just talking to a camera by myself typically. So it's harder to read if I'm doing well. Um, but I'm still navigating that learning how to Right. How, how to improv in a self-tape audition. I don't think we're going to get entirely get rid of in-person auditions because there's just something about meeting right. the person physically. I hope and, not. And that's the thing I like to do with my show. I love the person to come on my show rather than do a remote right. recording because there's, just, there's missing something there right. that just feels you know archaic almost. Right. You, it feels natural to just have somebody with you and that fits with the audition. So exactly. I, don't, I see the benefit sometimes doing remote auditions if you live millions away and you think you're really good for it you know right. here's my you know something remote but i think yeah i don't think we're gonna entirely get rid of it just so much like in class learning in school learning oh. i don't think we're but i think we're gonna have some days where we have to provide options some days there just will have to be remote learning well yeah. and and i think it's it can be such a benefit because it yeah like you said if you're far away like i auditioned for something in kentucky i didn't get it but i could still send it an audition without having to drive 13 hours to louisville yay so that was you know you could still submit something from so far yeah, away you don't have to drive all the way to louisville hello right and right back, yeah. and there's yeah. a benefit to zoom too like if i'm recording radio shows for black dirt theater like they out of hastings they're we just all gather together on Zoom, and it's so nice. I don't have to leave my basement and yeah. drive very far. And Zoom is actually a really good recording uh, venue. Right. I mean, it, it records all your stuff separately. So they've been able to produce some really good radio shows with people from all over the Twin Cities and even other states. So that's been kind of cool. But I do appreciate in person. I don't know. There's like I said, I work off people's vibes, and so it's just nice, nice to make a person to person connection. I feel like our world is so getting far away from that with voiceover that was something that you started right away or is it something after doing improv i so i've taken a couple classes with jessica mars she's fantastic oh by we've the had way. her on yeah she's on my she's yeah. awesome what a wonderful teacher and so i've taken a couple with her i haven't actually done any commercial work voiceover it's mostly oh, just okay. been like helping people with recording in a film or recording um radio shows with black dirt so i still have to build up my equipment like that's a slow process getting yeah. acquiring all the things you need um but but i really did enjoy that part of it is kind of deceiving because people think right. oh voice work that's just going to pajamas but there is a you have to figure out some kind of skill with that I mean, well yeah i mean it it's like with any character you develop you still need to develop a character but you also need to figure out 
how can you translate? Because you can't use facial expressions or physical activity to convey a character. It's all your voice and it's all your inflections and everything. So it's figuring out what techniques work for you. And she gives some really good um, ideas for what to do because, I mean, she's very accomplished. And so I'm going to want to learn from her. And so it's interesting to try to change your voice or modulate or how to get it um, into a different place in your head so that you sound different versus, you know, a luxury commercial versus an animated character. They're completely different voice skills. It's an art. Ladies and gentlemen, they all knew Mercury, such and such, you know, like that. Right. Yeah. Where, where are you going to get my register down there? Because you really want right. to emphasize the dramatic. Well, know. and like some people have just like that's their brand. Like if like very luxury sounding, they sound like they could sell perfume or cars or jewelry. Yeah. I sound more like I could sell baby wipes and, you know, candlestick holders. I don't know. I mean, like a thrift store. I don't know. I've got more of a lighthearted crisp voice versus like that really like hey don't you want to buy this pearl necklace that i'm currently wearing on me it's 59.95 you can have it for free that's i don't know good. that was good well see that's that's not my natural register so if you go lower but it's yeah. it's fun to play with it i don't know i enjoy i enjoy character work but it's it's different now because when we were kids it's how fast you can get that information out and buy this card and everything to see later and get the jingle by right where now do you want personalities right. a little bit with it a little bit slow it down and I, I think the first time i noticed that was sam elliott doing um chevrolet commercials which sam is not a voiceover guy sam elliott definitely not but they wanted to sell the ranch dude right telling you. yes and then it's because what he did is y'all knew chevrolet avalanche and i looked at my wife and go that's wrong he needed to get it out in five seconds right and it's changed now because he right. could take the as long as time he wanted to sell it so now i think the structure is different they want the personality right. they want to come out the aesthetic well, they don't even want the salesman voice anymore. Like no. there's people who want to do voiceover work who really love that like radio host voice, like the old school radio host voice. Like, oh, come on now, everybody. Let's go down to the whatever. And they want more real voices like people that sound realistic. Yes. What is Bill Cooper says? Happy, wholesome and healthy. Like that's what they're looking for in a voice typically. Or if it's you like I love the old Spice commercials because the guy who I don't even know who he is, but he's fantastic. But he's got he's got that like smooth, silky, but kind of sarcastic voice, like undertone to his yeah, voice. He's, he's aware of his surroundings. Almost. Yeah, and he, like, does, he sells it with his voice. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, so it, there's there's types to what they're looking for, but it's it's not so much. I don't know. I don't want to say fake sounding, but just they want more of a real real. Yeah. character that's what i was trying to bring up with the yeah. music sam elliott they want right. the authentic that he really is not living on a ranch and he's telling about this truck right, right? where nowadays in the 80s they'll just spit out as fast as they can and right show you how hot casey Kasem. Right. yeah yeah but now they want a little more personality sure. whereas a lot of the more celebrities are doing it now than right. just professional voiceovers yeah are you, you should do a, a trailer. You should be the voiceover tra for trailers. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know if they do. And if they do, it's mm -hmm. probably like the similar voices that have done it forever. But trailer yeah. voices are awesome. I just don't have, it sounds like something else. But trailer voice, like movie trailer voices are awesome. I don't have like the punch that's needed for the action movies where they're like, this is now coming to screen. Batman versus Spider-Man. I mean, you know. Right. They're gotta, not verses, I know. It's a little too high. You got to. It's too high. It, you got to deepen. I don't it. have that murky, like mysterious quality to my voice. You sound like the. It's almost like the voice of the woman that inspects the man's shaving after he's done shaving, selling razors. <laughs> oh, you missed a spot! Like, what? do you remember those commercials? Like the yes. guy shaved, and then his girlfriend had come and like, 
oh, you did a good job. Was it you or the razor? That yeah, did? yeah. Oh, my gosh. That'd be so funny. That would be really funny. Well, that's one thing I like about the radio shows is that Black Dirt out of Hastings, the theater, they've been putting on radio shows since COVID started. It was kind of a... Where can we find those? They are on KDWA. Um play it and they play at various times but if you go to black dirt radio theater on facebook they're there too so they're fantastic but they've they play on hastings radio it's kdwa and they we they we record over zoom and we get to play different characters like they they've taken some modern scripts but they've also done a lot of like old-timey scripts between the 30s and 60s oh it's so fun to read and so i've had to change some of them due to you know just sexist era you know maybe things that were said back then that maybe don't translate well now. But overall, like we've gotten to play some, I've played some really interesting characters, but it's been fun to kind of play the plucky. I, my favorite ones are when I get to play like the plucky housewife or the plucky sarcastic. Well, I'm a, your voice kind of gives it. I'm sorry. I, I, well, what are you talking about, Alan? I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even want to deal with you right now. I mean, that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. Yes. That works. Those are my favorite. Yes. 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 I think podcasting has, Another avenue where people kind of brought that out, the voice over the radio voiceover hours of oh, yeah. selling the drama and everything. And then I think there's a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which kind of it's a satire comedy of the radio thing. You know, oh, how fun. Where they get on and like you can hear the sound effect of somebody having a gun. And you go, Joey, what do you got there? Oh, I just check off's gun. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. I just have a gun. <laughs> it's okay. Where we all know what Chekhov's gun is, so we get to talk a lot of that. But That's yeah, funny. yeah. But yeah, so I think it's brought it back a little more. And kids are discovering that avenue. Right. Know, you know. Well, everything's so visual lately. I mean, even since the 1980s, I would say, like, we've had so much visual media and with smartphones and video games and TV and the surge of the internet that. For podcasts to be popular and for listen, you know, people to just listen to things again, it almost goes back to that old school um, radio. I mean, we just, yeah. we don't listen to radio. It's mostly streaming media and all of that now. But like for podcasts, at least like you're you're having to not watch something, you're having to listen. Yes. And so I'm thankful for podcasts. I've, I've started listening to a couple. I haven't really gotten into podcasts as much as oh, it's so other people. There's so many. There's yeah. so many. And yeah. so I find it really to be educational. I'd rather listen to them especially when i'm walking or working out like that's what i do instead of music is i'll turn on a couple different podcasts including yours i like yours too oh, well thanks yeah, yeah. i know right right you're definitely Paul. gonna have to listen to yourself dude. well i have enough <laughs> so one thing with the actors i don't know if you've met enough of them which you probably have but i mean at least me i don't like to watch myself on screen or hear myself it's like the weirdest thing because i pick apart what i say it's it's I think it's it's every every actor okay. does it because I, right. I I watched the making of the Birdcage with Nathan Lane oh. and Mike Nichols directing and he would call Mike Nichols after and he goes can we do that scene again and all this you just after many takes and Michael Michael Nichols had to tell him you know you're going to win an Oscar for this right just you're just you know you're amazing like, right what I can see I can picture my brain him just what I know and Mike Nichols knew like you're really killing it but he had to constantly call every day I didn't do it very well can we do this no that. It's because you go, you are in your brain and you're living in your body versus what other people actually see. And so yeah. it's easy to become self-conscious. I heard a lot of people have to almost divorce themselves that that is them on stage or them on picture right. or them on film. They almost have to divorce themselves. Like, who is that almost? Like that separation a little bit. If I actually do watch myself on screen, I have to watch it once and let myself get 
over myself, like, oh my gosh, I could have done it this better. I could have looked this way or whatever, whatever. And then I have to watch it again with new eyes. Like I'll watch it first, get all my critiques out, get all my whatever hem and hawings out. Then I'll set it aside. And then like a day or two later, watch it with new eyes, like not as looking at me, but as looking at my character and how does that play into whatever film I'm in or whatever I'm doing. That's helpful. So I I think you're allowed to get your hem and hawings out, but you should watch yourself. I think it's good. Yeah, I think so. I know a lot. We know a couple of people that just don't. Right. But you have to do like in the mirror, practice your kind of your manners right. a little bit in the mirror, get comfortable. That's who you are. And I tell people when they're t- doing a podcast or voiceover, do a couple of takes to realize that's your voice. Right. It's like me. Yes, that's how you sound to other people. You got to get comfortable with that before you move on. Do a couple episodes of just getting comfortable how you talk. Right. And how because you, you just... sound different in your head than you do when you're recorded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So now the point where I'm, I'm totally relaxed with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really, I'm, I'm not comfortable with people recognizing my voice, complete strangers, because of the show. I'm not comfortable oh, with that. I, I, I go to the theater like, I know that voice. I go, oh, you're listening to my show. Okay. <laughs> oh, you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it does get, it, it's, it takes a while to get acclimated to that. Yeah. It's probably a little weird, but kind of cool at the same time. Right, yeah. yeah. But also when you know so many people that are actors and actresses, my wife gets mad because she takes the magic out of watching the commercials. Because it's like, oh, I know that person. What? They don't really work at Walmart? What? Uh. <laughs> they, they're not at Warner Stellion. What's going on? <laughs> right. They've been delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Because it kind of takes, we kind of miss that, the lore. We know these people. We, right. It kind of like takes the magic away. Of the, right. Yeah. See, I love to watch like Fox 9 or one of some of the local channels where they actually show local commercials that are produced here for, for, um, for different brands and whatever yeah. companies around here. So it's fun for me to see like, oh my gosh, I know her. Oh my gosh, I know that person. I've seen that person before on Facebook or whatever. It's kind of neat to see them working. Like yes. I, I'm happy for everybody that gets a chance to get paid gigs. It's hard to do. I had, We had Brian Cristofano, who also was yeah. in my film. And I just record Jeopardy. And then his commercial where he's a fashioning jackets and i was like nice. brian you didn't tell me and it's like it's not me that's a good looking dude that wasn't me at all that's, a, that's somebody yeah it's like he's divorcing himself from that that's yeah he and i went to junior high together you and him mm-hmm. you and brian yeah oh, that's wonderful it was so funny we got cast in tribulations nathan cast us both to play a married couple and i was like really and i looked him up and i was like oh I went to junior high with him and it was so fun to see him again. And I've been so happy for his success. He's been doing really well. That's fascinating. Cause yeah. I used, to, I was doing PA work at the church scene for that. Oh yeah. It was yeah. the one day I couldn't come and they had to film without me. I was supposed to be there, but I couldn't. So they changed it. A but little I, bit, right. yeah, I got to play the, the passed away wife. So the one time I was actually helping out with Nathan's film was, uh, you weren't there. And I, I wasn't did, there. And we're there. We would have met each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you're also doing another, are you in another Z-Fest submission? Are you part of that? I think so. I think um, I've, M.A. Dorfler just finished her film. So I played a barista in her awesome film, Soul Comrade. So that's going to be it's coming out. Soul, Com- Soul Comrade. So that's right. going to be coming out for Z-Fest. And, and I think I was in another film that Brian Tift is doing, but I'm not sure if it's being submitted to Z-Fest. I think so. But okay. I'll have to check. So what do you, so with M.A., Doffler, what are you, what are you, what role? I got to play the barista. Yeah. They are oh, bartender. Yeah. yeah. Like I got to hand out coffee to humans and be sunny and in my disposition. So <laughs> it was really fun. I've never been a barista, but it was fun to like pretend. 
It's fun. Yeah. Right. It is fun. So what's the name of that kid? It's called Soul Comrade. Oh, I gotta remember that. Yeah. I'm that down. Soul Comrade. There's some really good people. It's like, like soul, like your soul, like S-O-U-L? Yeah, not like oh. the bottom of your foot. Soul, okay. S-O-U-L, Comrade. And like Jacqueline Mack is in it and Ryan Maddox and a really good cast oh, of wonderful. cast of people in it. So Lee There's Fillingsness. There's two people that are, we need to get on my show eventually. Yeah, Lee yeah. Fillingsness is in it. So it's it's... Oh, he's such an awful person. Oh, just a big, <laughs> awesome guy. So I think there's some really talented people in it. So it was, it gotta, was well done. I got to chuckle when he came on my show because like, thank God, I finally have a guest that's taller than me. Yeah, he's so tall. <laughs> he actually had a duck when he come in the studio. I and bet. Like, like, I'm going to hit my head. I've hit my head too many times. Are... It's like six, four, man. And... Yeah, your ceilings are only, what, six foot? Yeah. Right? So he had a duck in it, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but it's kind of takes away the magic because we all know Lee and he's wonderful. But then he plays these very menacing people on film. It's like, I'm not buying it because he's the nicest guy. I'm sure if right. he did, like, I'm sorry, I'll do it. Right. <laughs> he's almost apologetic. Yeah. But that's what makes teddy it. Bear. So it makes it even more interesting, like the fact that he can play like these really like larger than life characters and like menacing, like you said, menacing and. But yet, yeah, they're usually he's really sweet. At least a couple times I've met him, he's yeah. been very sweet. He's wonderful. So, this, well, look, look forward to that. Yeah, and I'm definitely yeah. going to come to Z Fest and brew it on. We have some people that have been guests that are going to be on part of it again. Right, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be one of the best. Yeah, really good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always good. It's always fun. Um, so, Andy, I have to say, kind of time is up. <gasps> oh, I know. tragedy. You know, I think you have to probably start your own podcast. I think it would be beneficial. I would I have think, to come up with something cool to do. Right. Well, I think, right? I think the kids would kind of help you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Here's my musings on motherhood, humans. Here's what's going on. Yeah. I find a lot of humor in my kids. Well, there is a show called Drinking with Mom. I Mom, bet, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she has funny stories she has to relate about her. I can imagine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would relate to her probably very well. Yeah. So, Andy, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Wonderful. Nick. Yeah, we're looking forward to the Z Fest and everything. And yeah, looking forward to maybe doing hearing you, hearing you doing other projects as well. Right. Um, and Andy knows it's not over till the guests say it's over. It's over. Ah, there we go. Yeah.